0: Welcome to the VoiceOver Insider Podcast with Julie Williams and VoiceOver Insider editor Gary McFadden.
1: Welcome to the free VoiceOver Insider Podcast. We are so glad you're able to join us. I'm Julie Williams, publisher of the VoiceOver Insider, along with my senior editor, Gary McFadden.
0: And today we're going to talk about something most of us really don't know anything about VoiceOver Legal. And we're talking to the man who wrote the book on that.
1: And that's literally too. It's called voiceover legal. Anyway, Rob Sigling Paglia is an attorney and voiceover and on-camera talent who, well, don't ever ask him to choose between careers because he's great at all of them and an asset to voiceover talent. Anyway, he did write the book called Voiceover Legal that's full of great information for voiceover
0: talents. And Julie caught up with him the other day to pick his brain on legal topics that are relevant to the voiceover talent. Now, I do need to tell you that this is a very good time for you to hear the difference between Skype and IPDTL. So far, what you've been hearing has been recorded via IPDTL, but this upcoming interview was recorded in Skype.
1: Rob, thank you so much for joining us. I know that you're very busy between doing TV spots and voiceovers and and your legal practice, you know, so it's an honor to be able to take some of your time and do this free podcast for the VoiceOver Insider subscribers. Oh, my pleasure. Now, you've written a book, Voice Over Legal, which right. is, to the best of my knowledge, the only book of its kind in the industry.
2: Mine too. Yeah, I believe it is the only one.
1: Yeah. I mean, from an attorney, voiceover talent, who knows really both ends inside out. So I don't want to... This is, of course, not to sell the book, but you know, most of the important things we're going to talk about are in the book, right? I mean, obviously, we're not going to be so comprehensive that we cover everything, but you know, you put the important issues in the book. So what I want to do is ask you a couple of questions and then, um, some, some sort of a frequently asked questions, and then you can add stuff to it that, you know, basically is what you feel are the, are the most important frequently asked questions that you get. Cause you would really know better than I would about that.
2: Sure. Absolutely. No problem.
1: How long have you been an attorney?
2: Oh, good question. <laughs> it's 1991, so what's that, 25 years? Wow. Five years, yeah. That's
1: awesome. Celebrating an anniversary there. How long have you been doing voiceover and, uh, and television?
2: Uh, for about 10.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I got to tell you, I loved your Super Bowl spot. I will never forget it. It is classic. Thank you. And it was probably quite a highlight doing that Super Bowl commercial.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. It was a lot of fun. You know, it's uh, opened a lot of doors. It still lives on. <laughs> That's great.
1: So let's talk about some stuff—the uh, legal aspect and legal ramifications of us just operating our day-to-day voiceover businesses. I mean, most of us work in our own home studios, right? We don't have people come to fall and break their neck. And if they did, they—you know—probably I would assume it would be covered by homeowners insurance or renters insurance. But what kind of insurance do you think that we need for, from a legal aspect? to protect ourselves, given the fact that nobody does come to our studio. And the worst thing that I can think of can happen would be, you know, the client doesn't like the job and you can always refund the money.
2: Right. Well, first of all, it's not a given that your homeowners or renters insurance would cover somebody coming to your home studio. Okay. So that has to be checked by each individual talent because they may need to have a business insurance rider. It depends.
1: Oh, okay. so where they
2: are and so because that, that could be, I mean, a, um, some homeowner's insurance um, excludes business, uh, any business purposes. So if someone's coming to the house to record and it's definitely a business recording for voiceover, that could be excluded under the policy. So that needs to be checked.
1: Now, if we were, if we had a, a home studio and we do have business insurance in that, um, we were covered as far as our equipment goes and stuff like that. Can we assume that we have liability as well, or do we have to double-check that? Is it separate?
2: No, you'd have to check. You know, each state's different, but you have liability, you have medical payment coverage, you have property damage. You know, you would need a, a separate rider most of the time for uh, to cover property, specific property. Okay. Uh, like if you have a $10,000 mixing board. Yes. You want that listed specifically in the yeah. policy that it's covered uh-huh. uh, for damage or for, for uh, theft.
1: Yes. So... That's the reason my address is not anywhere online. Um, it's just my email address. I don't even put my phone number on there because, you know, we all have home studios. We don't need to tell people where the equipment is.
0: Right.
2: Exactly. So okay. to answer your question, homeowners, you need to check that. But, you know, so errors and omissions, that's, that's the insurance that uh, voice talent will want to look into so that if they made some kind of mistake, they were negligent, that would cover them.
1: Errors and omissions.
2: Arizona and you know, yes.
1: Are there other ways besides insurance to cover ourselves from a liability standpoint?
2: Um, well, you should definitely, any, any um, jobs that you do, I mean, this is why I always say have a contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though you don't necessarily need a contract for every job, it's good to have it because you can put a clause in the contract saying that you're not responsible for any, anything. It is. So um, it's called an indemnification clause. You, you want that in your contract so that you're not responsible for things that may come up later.
1: I see. Okay. And um what about business structure for protection?
2: Business structure too. Like you could you could set up um an LLC or a corporation, you know, that that uh, will shield some of your liability as well.
1: Sure. So. Now, there are certain states. Okay. There's California, okay? Not certain states. There's California where uh it was actually not advantageous for me to be an LLC. And there are umpteen reasons. And I actually dissolved my LLC, but have been considering, um, since I'm maybe moving on to expand a little bit more, you know, maybe coming some sort of a subchapter S corporation or, or something like that. Is that very difficult to do?
2: No, no, not at all. You just, you'd have to file the paperwork with the secretary of state. For an S corp, you'd have to file the S designation with the IRS, but that's pretty easy too. Uh-huh. You know, pay the fees and that's it
1: and what about when when we become an S corp? are there like minutes that we have to give in corporate meetings to the IRS every year and all that other stuff or is that just for major corporations
2: uh, for any corporation you're supposed to have an annual meeting um, and you're elect, elect your officers but uh, you know it can be done informally if it's just a one or two person thing so it doesn't have to be like a a formal annual meeting you know if it's a bigger company um, they do them because it's, it's an opportunity to uh, tell everyone in the company what's going on. So,
1: right, right, just,
2: you know, to uh, keep everyone informed. And they do their annual meeting and elect their officers and everything.
1: Now, with a one-person business, a voiceover business that's just me, just one person, maybe subcontracting an editor on occasion or whatever. If I were to form a subchapter S corporation or something similar, can I be every single officer in there?
2: Uh, in most states, no. Most states, you need at least two officers.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like here in Connecticut, for example, you need a president and a secretary. So, ah, okay. But you can hold more than one office, so you could be president and treasurer, uh, and then the other person could be secretary and vice president.
1: But, I see. You know,
2: and each state's different right, as to what you know who could be officers.
1: Okay, but your recommendation for most talent in the U.S. might be to be an LLC.
2: Yes. You can be a single member LLC, so that's why.
1: I should also give a disclaimer here and saying, you know, Rob is telling you what he feels is right for most talent, but he's not listening to your situation. And so, consult with him or, or another attorney about if this is right specifically for you, right. because everybody's got different situations and an attorney really needs to check out your situation to see what actions well, would be right for you.
2: And there's also tax issues. Yeah. depending on an S Corp or a C Corp or an LLC, so you should talk to an accountant too.
1: Oh, okay. And when you work with a talent, do you work with an accountant as well that you kind of work and, and coordinate together to make sure everything's covered, or do you have them get their own accountant?
2: No, I, I usually refer people to their, uh, some accountants that I, that I know, or um, a lot of times um, people already have accounts that do their taxes and things, so there's not a particular accountant that I, I um, refer them to. Any any accountant that knows taxes would be able to help
1: what other kinds of issues legal issues do voiceover talents have to take into consideration
2: um well i mean there's legal issues with every voiceover job that there's that there's done you know like one of the things i've been seeing a lot lately is usage issues so talents will be told that they're uh, recording something for you know the internet and all of a sudden it ends up on tv or radio
1: oh yeah okay
2: they haven't gotten paid for that so That's a big legal issue that needs to be hammered out ahead of time. Usage of the material. Um, Payment, just something as easy as payment. I mean, there's a lot of voice talent that I see that are not being paid. So that's something that needs to be taken care of
1: right up front. Exactly. Well, my easy remedy to that is to get payment in advance. Yes. Most of my clients, actually, only one has ever balked at it. And he's like a $100 per job client. So for him, I'll just like, okay, well, you send me a check. It's not about a trust issue. It's about I have bills to pay, too, and I found that, that when they don't pay in advance, it's, it's hurry up and wait. Hurry up. I need this right. done. I need it done by, you know, 5 o'clock on Thursday to go with my client. Once they have the audio, it's like, oh, yeah, in the next week or so, I'll walk it down to accounts payable. You know what I mean? Yep. You're no longer a priority once Correct. they have the audio. Exactly. Now, uh, we're talking contracts that, that you put together for voiceover jobs that I'm assuming that they can just, uh, talent can just make small modifications based on the specifics of the job. But what about with overseas clients?
2: A contract is a contract. So if you're dealing with overseas clients, it's a lot more difficult because you can't really collect against right. overseas clients. So you better get your money up front.
1: Yeah. So you've got a, you've got a, a contract, but if it's not enforceable, you know, what good is it?
2: Right. Exactly. You can put in there that uh, jurisdiction is going to be in the state where you reside. You know, and sue here. But uh, for someone that's overseas, there's you know the court can still say there's no jurisdiction even though there's a jurisdiction clause in the contract Mm -hmm. because they're outside the United States. If they were in the United States, then they're a different state. Then a jurisdiction clause is going to work great because then you can sue them in your state. But for you know for people outside, even if you get a judgment, what are you going to do? You know, so.
1: Now I've seen I've seen people on social media in in private groups such as World Voices Organization or Boxy Ladies or groups like that that say hey don't work for these people I've been waiting for months and haven't been paid or or something like that are they putting themselves in a liability situation by saying that or is the fact that it's the truth make it okay
2: Truth is always a defense to libel and slander but uh, people can sue for anything these days so doing that's you are taking on a little risk by saying things like that. But, you know, ultimately in the end, the talent will probably win because it's true.
1: Right. So, All right. Now you've you've written the book on voiceover legal. So what am I not asking that other people have asked and I'm just not thinking of it?
2: I've been asked about, you know, what kind of liability is there for the actual material that people are recording. If it's, uh, you know, like saying for a, a some kind of drug or a product that you, you know you're you're pitching. You know, are, are they are they responsible?
1: Oh, like if something goes wrong with the drug, can they be sued because they voiced the commercial? Is that what you're saying?
2: Exactly. Or, or you know, they're doing a car commercial and, and uh, you know the car ends up defective or you know whatever, whatever. Okay. And um, that's why I was saying before your E and O insurance would cover you there and um, put in the contract that you're going to be indemnified by whoever you're recording for, so that possibility goes away. And it's it's possible that someone who voices the commercial could be sued. It doesn't happen a lot. It doesn't happen very often at all. I don't think there's been any huge cases uh, where there was anything that would warrant that. And I wouldn't want to be the talent that voiced some big drug company a uh, spot that you know caused a widespread cancer outbreak or something like that. Right, you know I mean? right. I want to be that talent?
1: But we can't the know dr- ahead of time. We really can't know anything about that.
2: Exactly, exactly. You can't, you couldn't. Right. But I wouldn't want to be that person that's not protected. You know what right, I
1: mean? Right. And on the other hand, I, I think that if someone is going to sue a drug company, it has much deeper pockets than, you know, Joe Blow voiceover talent. Yeah. But I mean, but you could lose your house.
2: Right. I mean, or, or if you, if the, the, the voice talent, uh, you know, if they have any, any assets at all, or if they have uh, insurance or whatever, you know, they could, uh, who knows, you know, if, they, if it's going to be a big enough case from the, Drunk companies going to be paying out a lot of money, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: You know, attorneys are going to look for whatever whatever assets they can find right? To try to collect. So, I mean, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but it's just something to to think about. Um, okay,
1: and, and we have time for one more. Uh, what is another thing that, that you cover in the book that, um, or that has come up since, that you think that our voiceover insider audience would like to know?
2: The other thing I, I get a lot of questions about are taxes, tax issues, and, and how to... Uh, how to report and what you can deduct and things like that. Especially with um, education expenses, you know, people that are taking on voiceover as a new profession, um, they want to know if they can write off all, all the classes that they, they took. And uh, in general, they can't. So that's that's another reason why it's good to start up some kind of S corporation or LLC so that you can say that those classes are um, startup expenses.
1: I see. Now, can a a sole proprietor who is just getting started can they write off their classes if that year they do get a paid job does that make them a professional where they can write off the classes now
2: no no because in general the rule is um, if you're taking classes for a new profession then you can't write the, those the prices of those classes off ah. um, if it's if it was if someone wasn't voice-over artist already and was making money and they wanted to take classes, you know, for another genre or something like that, or to to, um, expand their profession, that's fine. Then you can write off those classes. Okay,
1: so I could write off classes if I wanted to, say, take, I don't know, animation, which I don't do. But the the person who's brand new that hasn't really been in the industry can't write off their classes. Is that right?
2: Correct. You have to do it as a startup cost, so. Right. I mean, I guess you don't necessarily have to do an LLC or an S corporation to say it's a startup cost, but it's... it makes it a lot easier
1: hmm yeah that's uh, a that's a good thought I I really had not I thought that as long as they had one paid job within that year that that made them a professional and they could write it off
2: well I mean that's another point it's a different point that you're making but it is another point where you can't write off anything if you haven't if you don't have anything to write it off from so can you write it off from your ordinary income you know, say you're, say you're a, a wage earner so you just have a regular job where you get a paycheck and you don't have a Schedule C. If you don't have any income, then you can't write off anything, you don't, your demos or anything, because you have nothing to write it off against. You have no, no income.
1: Okay, so, so what I think I hear you saying is let's say I made $100 one year and I spent 1600 in training. Okay, the most I could write off would be 100 because that's what I made. Or could I take a $1,500 loss?
2: No, you could take the loss, but it wouldn't It wouldn't be for the classes. That wouldn't count. So it would have to be for, like, advertising. It would have to be for, uh, Buying like, equipment. That you sign up for equipment. Yeah, that kind of stuff.
1: Okay. All right. Is there anything else that you would like to add before we close?
2: I think we covered a lot of it, so Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else.
1: Well, uh, you can let us know where we can get your book.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, VoiceOverLegal.com. <laughs> That's, okay. That's, go to that website. You can get the e-version, the electronic version, or you can get the paperback
1: Excellent. version. Well, thank you so much for joining us and giving us all this valuable information because, you know, we might be experts in one area. But in this area, I know very few attorneys that do voiceover. And in this area, we're kind of like at the mercy of, oh, let's just say the IRS.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I help uh, voice talent all the time. I help actors all the time, musicians. So it's... Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a good, it is it is definitely a specialty in it, but it's something that uh, I'm definitely here for to, to help those that have these questions that come up.
1: And what is your email address that somebody can call you or can email you to get more information?
2: It's Rob Sig R-O-B-S-C-I-G, at USA.net.
1: We've been talking with Rob Siglampaglia, who is, it's actually Siglampaglia, isn't it? Yes. Okay, sorry about that. And okay. um, he is an attorney and voiceover talent, an on-camera actor and voiceover expert who also wrote the book Voiceover Legal. Rob, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Julie. Rob always has great information for us. By the way, both Julie and I are proud to recommend IPDTL for your directed VO sessions. It's inexpensive and offers a quality connection for your clients. I'm sure you noticed the difference in quality between Julie and I talking and Julie's interview with Rob.
1: It was huge.
0: That's the IPDTL difference. Thank you for listening to the VoiceOver Insider podcast. Please be sure to also sign up for the free VoiceOver Insider at voiceoverinsider.com. You've been listening to the VoiceOver Insider podcast with Julie Williams. Be sure to join us next week for more VoiceOver Insider information and another edition of the McFadden Minute.